So there you go. So when we're done here, and by the way, last year, I think with the exception of Green Acres, um, our church, this campus gave more to Gideons than any other church in the area. And so I would, I don't know if I should be proud of that or not, but I am proud of that. And so um, uh, if, if you have the opportunity and you believe in this ministry, please make sure and be prepared at the end of the service to support Gideons International as well. As we're jumping into um, this conversation on refreshing, um, refreshed, refocused, um, uh, we're going to be doing this together because a lot of this is new for me as well. Even though last year I taught through a series like six, six, eight weeks, something like that on rest, um, uh, the truth was I wasn't listening uh, to what I said. So one, we need a, I need a refresher. But two, um, I also feel like this concept of refreshment is kind of distinct from just resting. And I've never really gotten to study it or never really taken the time to dig into it. So I'm going to be doing that over these weeks as we're teaching and talking about it. Um, and, and it very much so is going to be learning about it kind of together. Um, in fact, at the end or near the end of the sermon today, I'm going to have a time when, when we're going to have a, a couple of guys running around with mics and uh, microphones. And I would love to hear um, an example in your life in the last few months or years where you have been encouraged by someone else's ministry. Like you've seen someone in action in ministry and you've said, you know what, that's, that's been a real encouragement to me. And, uh, and I'd like for us to hear about that. So be, be thinking if you've got a, a little example of that. And so we could get a handful of people to share some of those um, at the end of the service. So that, that gives you a little warning. I forgot to do that in the first service. So we had a little lag there. And, uh, and so I want to make sure and remind everybody that's coming by the time we're done. Um, so here's the passage, one of the passages that has stood out to me, even when I was studying rest, that, that I remember even saying when I read this, what am I going to say about it again this time, but I never then dug into it. So um, it's in, from Exodus 31, 16 and 17, which I had that totally wrong first service, and so that's a, David found it for me though. So the, so the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath <clears throat> to celebrate um, look at my version, to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant, to sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Now that's an odd word in this passage, in my opinion. So refreshed, I think of refreshed as kind of being topped off. So like, you know, you're down, you're, you're, you're low, you're low on energy, you're low on fuel, you're low on whatever, and being refreshed is to have that fuel tank topped off. It's to, it's to recover, another word that you would use there, to recover. So how does an omnipotent, all-knowing, perfect God, how could he experience being refreshed? That was my question. Apparently there's something more to refreshed than just restoring, just recovering. So what is that? What is it that, that we need to be refreshed? And notice that it's distinct from rest. So, so God rested. Um, that means he took a break. Um, we studied Sabbath, which is the word Shabbat, which means stop. It's the Hebrew word for stop. Cut it out. Quit. That's Shabbat. And so we need to Sabbath, we need to take Sabbath, we need to stop at times for sure. Then there are times in regards to that that we need to rest, meaning cease from our labors. That's there. But those are distinct from being refreshed. And so I'm not sure that the reason that some of us feel worn down is just because we haven't rested 
or if it's because we're not refreshed. So I want, I want to come at this from a new way and understand this. We default to refreshed being a consequence of being exalted, but really it comes from the root word for self in the Hebrew, self or person or a soul or a living being. And, and apparently, um, uh, and Doug Foreman, who is a pastor as well, told me this morning, it also has a, a kind of a, an edge of without conceit. So not only is God, apparently is God considering himself, but it's not an issue of conceit. He's not like, man, I, I am just awesome. It's not a, he's looking at himself and he's saying, I, I am reestablishing, I'm reengaging with the truth of who I am. Almost kind of in a weird way, like God himself is being still and knowing he is God. Um, that there's, there's something about this going on, that he is engaging with the truth of who he is, and that's what it means to be refreshed, perhaps. Um, so, for example, here, here's the example I came up with. What if, think in terms of a bird sitting in a cage on a perch. If it's just sitting in the cage on a perch, I think you could argue that it is resting. It's taking a break. It's stopping from labor. But isn't a bird more itself when it's in flight, not when it's on a perch? And so if that's the case, then it seems like what would refresh a bird would not be sitting on a perch, but would instead be flying. That, I think, is the distinction. And I want us to wrestle with this distinction that, that maybe, maybe we are frazzled and foolish and all that type of stuff, and that's, that's why we're just, we just don't rest enough, and so that's why we're tired. But maybe it's, it's distinct from that. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe what we're doing is failing to be refreshed, and that's why we're tired. That's why we're worn out. So let's look at this example of this. Um, there's a story in, in each of the Gospels, I think it's in all of them, but, but the, um, where Jesus, Jesus is traveling from one part of Israel to the other part of Israel, and, and so he makes a shortcut through Samaria, which, which Jewish people didn't typically do, but Jesus wasn't typical um, in his expression of Judaism. And so, so he traveled straight through Samaria, and on the way, he stops. In the middle of the day, the heat of the day, he stops at a well. Now, this well was outside of a town, and it would have been probably just scorching hot. So this isn't a place where he was going to run into anybody. And I do think Jesus was a little bit of an introvert. And so Jesus is, is in a situation now where, where he's, he's clearly worn out. He's been incredibly busy the last few days and weeks. He's then walked halfway across the country. And it's, it's time, he, he wants to take a break. And it is funny to me that he starts by telling the disciples to go into town and get food. And, and they all go get food. I think there's a conversation that we're, we're kind of missing here. I think Jesus said, hey guys, I think y'all need to go into town and get some food. And I think probably they said, well, I mean, just Philip and Peter could get it. They'll just get it. And Jesus said, no, I think all 12 of you should go. And they're like, no, seriously, just two or three of us could get it. And Jesus said, no, really, all 12 of you. I want all 12 of you to go get food. And like, but, but then we would, you would be out here all by yourself. And Jesus says, right, so I think all 12 of you need to go get food. Like... <laughs> please go away now. Get, get out of my sight. Like, because these are exhausting guys. I mean, have you read the Bible? They're not, these are, these guys are exhausting. They, they never know what's going on. They're always confused. They're, 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 and so, so they had to be, to be around these guys, had to be exhausting. And so I think Jesus is sending all 12 of them into town. Please go away. Leave me some time alone. Now, those of you who are introverts know exactly what happens when you finally get time to yourself, and that is someone shows up. And so what happens is this woman shows up at the well and, and he has this long conversation with her, 
And it's, a, it's almost a comedy routine, honestly, their, their conversation is. But by the end, she understands him, and she, is, she, she experiences the truth of, of who she is and the truth of who he is, and he tells her that there's this new spiritual life that she can have, and I believe the context would tell us that she then does. She then does put her faith in him as the Savior, as the Messiah. <laughs> and the disciples show up somewhere around probably two-thirds of the way through this conversation, and they kind of apparently stand there awkwardly while Jesus finishes his conversation with this woman who they don't understand why their rabbi is talking to a woman at all, much less a Samaritan woman, much less in the heat of the day and all that kind of stuff. And so finally she leaves and goes to town to start the revival process in that town. And then the disciples come up to him and they bring him food and he doesn't seem to be eating. So in verse 31 of chapter 4 of John, meanwhile the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Now, that's interesting. So the disciples said to one another, because their job is to be the comedy, the comic relief, has anyone brought him something to eat? Of course, they don't understand what he's talking about. And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So notice, though Jesus had his time alone stolen from him, and though he hasn't had anything to eat, and though he's been having a tough conversation with the woman in the heat of the day in the desert of Samaria, he is refreshed. Is he potentially still tired? Sure. Is he, is he maybe even just kind of fatigued, maybe, in some ways? Maybe. I mean, we see Jesus fall asleep. He gets tired. He gets tired enough to sleep in the, on a tiny boat in the middle of a storm in the Sea of Galilee. That's tired. But, but in this situation, we see a refreshment in him that I think is, is what we're trying to understand here. I think Jesus is refreshed by doing what he's called to do, by being who he's been called to be, by being who he is. He experiences a type of refreshment there. I think tired is real. I think Jesus really was tired. I think sometimes we're tired because we are frail, and we are. We are frail. We, we need rest. We need breaks. And we have a limitless job, an eternal task in front of us. There's no doubt. It's one of the things when you bring someone onto a church staff, um, you have to remind them of. When someone steps into a role of ministry, and you, know, you guys know if you've been here more than a few weeks, when we say minister here, we don't mean church staff. We mean members. Every member is a minister. The job of the staff is to equip you for the ministry of the gospel. Um, that's the, you let us know how we can help equip you. But the ministry is something that you're going to be accomplishing, that members of our church accomplish in so many different ways here and around the world. Um, that's, that's what we're talking about when we talk about ministers. But when someone steps into ministry for the first time, one of the things you have to tell them is, you're never going to be done. Um, when, when you're in a role in ministry, you don't, you don't say, hey, you know what, it's, I've run out of stuff to do, so I guess I'll go home. You go home when you run out of time to do it. There's always more to be done. There's always more to be accomplished in ministry. That's why there's no such thing as retirement from ministry. Um, you can retire from a job. You can even retire from a ministry job, but you can't retire from ministry. You don't. Um, you may fail it to, to accomplish the ministry God has called you to, um, which probably is how you start the process of dying and sometimes. But that is a, that's us. The, the truth is there is tired. Jesus was tired. We are tired. There's an impossible work to be done. On top of that, there's congregational tiredness. We have, um, when we face challenges, when our brothers and sisters, uh, a grief that one experiences, to some degree we all experience. Um, whether it's death or sickness or cancer, 
And we all kind of experience that together. That weight is spread out. That's one of the values of having a community of believers so that we can rest in one another. Um, Also, think about what our church has been doing for the last like six months, eight months. It's been a busy time and a hard time. Our church has hosted a capital campaign, raising a bunch of money. That, that, I mean, when you start talking to people about money, they get tired real quickly about it, right? We, we, don't, we don't tolerate a lot of that conversation. We get tired. We start looking at our resources, we get tired. And we're moving into it, therefore, because we're having a capital campaign, where that means we're going to be moving into a construction campaign. And if you want to see ministers get looks of fear, uh, and by that time, I mean paid church staff, paid church staff get looks of fear on their face, especially pastors, tell them you're going into a building, a construction phase. Um, every pastor I know, when I tell them that, they're like, man, I'll start praying for you now. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what I, apparently I don't know what I'm getting into. Um, I think maybe I just have better support than they do. Um, people who could take care of that stuff, who know what they're doing. But um, man, what a, that's huge for a church. And, and that doesn't count the fact that in the last few months, we did something that almost no church ever has to do, and that is we've planted as an independent church. I mean, how's, how's that for finding new, new, a new lead pastor, new staff, and new positions, new, new, all kinds of newness going on? Change is, I mean, we all love change, right? Especially in the church setting. Change is our favorite thing. It's hard, we face challenges, and, and relationships sometimes get strained in that, and there's very few things more fatiguing than a strained relationship that's, that's kind of back there in the back of your mind and that you're wrestling through. This kind of stuff can be hard. It's necessary, um, and meanwhile, the ministry of the church has gone on. It's not like we took a big break for the last eight months. We still have thousands of people coming to the property all the time, life groups and Sundays on Wednesdays and guests and children and youth ministries and all that type of stuff, so understandably... We're all facing sometimes a little bit of tired. There have been a lot of votes, a lot of discussions, etc. And, and, and keep in mind, these things are necessary. I, I see stuff like that. It's like changing the oil in a car. So, if you, you know, you don't, you don't go into NASCAR so that you can change oil. That's not why you do that. But someone better be changing the oil in the car. We don't go into ministry so we can have votes and write bylaws. I, I mean, I hope. I hope that's not why you're here. Um, we're here to accomplish the ministry God called us to, and yet those things are necessary parts of it. So, but in the meantime, we can get tired. And I think that's understandable. I think we can be aware of the fact that there's some of that going on. Some of our fatigue comes from the work that has to be done in all the life's areas. Um, in the next few weeks, we will talk about yokes and burdens. And, and it may be that, that part of our fatigue comes from the fact we're carrying yokes and burdens that we're not meant to carry. Um, you know, like the, the old story of the animals all having a contest in the woods. And, you know, the bird does a great job with uh, flying, but the whole swimming thing, they fail at. They're not doing what they're called to do and not meant to do and, and that kind of stuff. Some of that's the case. Um, and certainly there are people around the world who their definition of tired, poverty-stricken, facing hardships is different than ours. Uh, many people around the world are facing much worse conditions. And most of ours, honestly, most of our tiredness comes from blessings. They're good things to have. In the midst of that, the idea of tired, though I think maybe some of our fatigue is because of attitude, not effort. Here's what I mean. I think some of, our, some of it comes from the fact that our problem isn't that we're working too much, but that we're trying to accomplish works, accomplish something with works that God doesn't intend. So let's just clear the table and make sure no one here 
that's hearing the sound of this teaching would think that the reason you do good works for God is so that he will love you or so that he will accept you or so that he will save you. I promise you he is not impressed by our works. And there's nothing impressive about us when it comes to our ability to do labor. He could do all of it more efficiently and more flawlessly than anything we can do. So he's not going to be impressed by that. Let's understand that, that if, if the fatigue that we're feeling is because we're somehow trying to earn God's favor, then of course you're going to be exhausted. Um, and you should be exhausted. You're trying to carry the weight of God. Only God can carry that weight. We can't. And so understand, to the degree that, that you do anything, that you work or you pray or you read scripture or any of that kind of stuff, or you work with children or you work with youth or you teach Sunday school or you greet at the door or you do anything else, because if you don't, God's going to get you. Um, he's going to send you to hell because you didn't do these works or whatever. Um, and his, his love is conditional based on your effort. Then you need to get that and sweep that off the table for the lie that it is. As a lie. We don't work to gain something from God like that. We work because of who we are. Understand the, the, the ridiculousness of working to change identity. That is flapping your arms really hard to become a bird. It's never going to work out. I promise. You're never going to make yourself holy. You're never going to create righteousness in yourself. You're never going to manufacture purity. It's not going to happen. So stop trying. Instead, accept who we are in Christ. If you have accepted the free gift of Christ, if you have been sealed, if you have been adopted, if you have been chosen, if you have been um, foreknown, if you have been paid for, if you have been all these different things, which is that's what, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, all those things apply to you. Then we do good works because we can. We do good works out of appreciation, not out of intimidation. We aren't children of wrath anymore. We can't work to avoid his wrath. We have avoided his wrath. We now have the opportunity in freedom to live in freedom and work in freedom. Now, that doesn't mean we won't be tired. We still need rest. We are frail creatures. But one thing that can exhaust us unnecessarily is carrying a burden that's not ours. And a burden that's not ours is to justify ourselves. Stop. It's never going to happen. You will never be able to justify yourself before God. Except the free gift of his love, salvation, and forgiveness... And then move along. Not the other way around. I feel like there might should have been an amen in there somewhere. Like that was, I hope you're hearing that. This is vital stuff. This is the foundational materials. If you don't get this, then you're going to be exhausted. As C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, if you think God came to prune you, if you think God says, you know what, I don't like this trade, and I don't like this trade, and you know, we need to take a little off of here and a little off of there. And, but the rest of you is good. You could just work on the rest of you. You're going to get angry soon if you're not already. God came to uproot us and reseed and start over a new creation. Created in Christ Jesus, planted in something totally new, a new creation. That's where we come in. If we're doing this, if we're grunting this out by our own effort, we will fail and then we'll get mad. Um, incidentally, I'm intrigued by this. The, uh, uh, none, of the, none of the, yet, not yet, it's only been a week, but none of the local free thinker or atheist groups have responded to uh, uh, me saying last week that I can't, none of them will invite me to come do a Q&A with them or whatever, um, which is a bummer. However, 
Um, a relatively big-name guy out of L.A. has asked me to be on his podcast in a few weeks. He wants, he's a, a, an, an atheist who wants to um, interview me and ask me questions. So this will be, this will be interesting um, to how, how we engage in this conversation. But he is a, quote, former evangelical Christian, now an atheist. So I'm intrigued to find out why. And I wonder if it has something to do with him getting frustrated and angry about trying to accomplish something that he was not able to accept that God had already done for him. Very often, if you're going to find yourself angry at God, that's going to be why. So, let's accept that understanding of rest, that we can rest in that. So, that means we are then refreshed as we understand the truth of that and as we see the truth of that. My, my theory now and my thesis is that we primarily refresh not by retreating, but by refocusing but by re-engaging in the way that we're actually were intended, intended to. So let me tell you the funny thing that happened last week. Um, so people came to help like crazy on Easter morning. Um, we had, we had a, it was, it was a, a great experience. So here I was on stage saying, first, everyone needs to come to the first service. Now, one, who would have thought you would have listened to that? Like, I mean, let's be honest. Did anyone predict that was actually going to happen? Well, it did. Everyone came first service, almost 800 people in here first service, okay, um, which was a fantastic. Then I said, okay, one, please do that because, you know, of all the guests who may show up in the second service, and, and maybe you're here, I hope you are, and, uh, and we had about 400, 450 people in the second service, actually lower than our normal numbers in the second service because, I mean, everyone came to the first service. And so, it was, which was, again, it was great. It was a fun experience, and we learned a lot from it. But here's what happened. So I'm up here on stage saying, oh, and by the way, after the first service, you need to go check with Kevin Carswell and find out how you can help in the hospitality area. How could you help with, you know, parking cars and greeting people and all that kind of stuff? Well, because everyone came to first service, I hope you weren't offended when Kevin said, mainly what I need is your parking space. Please go away. Okay, so, because... A lot of you heard something like that. I'm sure Kevin was very sweet about it and was really nice about it. But at the same time, it was kind of like, more than I need you helping other people park, I need you to help people park in your space. And so um, that was one. And then I said, well, if Kevin doesn't need you, head over to Rebecca. Now, here's what's another thing that's cool. And ask her how you can help her. Now, here's the other funny thing that happened. Enough people who know better than I do that when I said, hey, during the, sur during the second service, head over there between the services and ask if you can help. What happened was, enough of you knew how to interpret that, that you knew that that should have been said this way. Hey, make sure and call Rebecca before Easter and see if you can help. Enough of you knew that that's the way I should have been saying that, that you did that. So by Easter morning, we had every spot, she had every spot filled with backup on Easter morning. So then you went over there, the, the handful of us who didn't know to do it that way, and we went over, or so you went over and you said, hey, Rebecca, how can I help? And she went, I, I, we're full. So I, one, I hope you weren't offended by that. I hope that didn't upset you or anything like that. Two, I hope it didn't communicate the false message that, okay, we don't really need help. Um, the truth is, and by we, I mean all of us, especially all of us who have children, um, we need help. So I want to help you. I want to make sure you know that, one, that was, <laughs> that was me uh, and my communication skills. I mean, one, I was all pumped that you all came first service. I was like, hey, they're listening. The bad news was I probably shouldn't have said that, <laughs> um, or at least not that way. It was, it was very helpful. If everyone had shown up to second service in addition to the ones who did, yes, we would have had 
major problems. So I'm, I'm kind of teasing about that. But here's the deal. We need about 270 people a year just to minister to our children in this church. Okay, 270 people a year. Now, um, those, those people have to be background checked and they have to do the whatever training and that kind of stuff. But, but that's, that's what we need. We need 270 people a year to be on the teams because we have that many children coming. And by the way, that number um, was the correct number, March, as of about two years ago. Um, now, the good news is that's, that's still pretty, that would still do us well because our main limiting factor right now is space. Um, that's, that's, but we still need these people. So 270 people. Right now, there's about 162 of us on those teams. That's not real close to 270. Now, the good news is there's an additional 44 of us who are, um, who are on the um, substitution list and who are probably getting called a lot. Because the gap between 162 and 270 is even bigger than 44. So you're probably getting called regularly. The goal would be that we would have, make sure I've got this number correctly, that we would have about 38 teams of six to eight people each. That would be about what we would need. We have room for 80 people to step into those roles today. And there's a number of people here who probably are ready you're probably ready if you've done that, especially if you're at least ready to start the process of getting the background checks done and, and, and filling out, the getting you to return in references, all that kind of stuff. Because we're serious about this. Here, here's the deal. I, I really do think, um, I, I'm, this isn't just words, like I really do think that in this country, much less around the world, our children and their children are going to be facing a totally different environment when it comes to faith. Um, as these two, as, the, as the, the Christian faith and the American culture diverge more and more and more and more, then it's going to be harder and harder to be a good Christian in our culture, and to be a Christian leader who will step up. I mean, you, you can imagine, I'm already in my head trying to imagine, oh man, if I talk to this atheist, he could ask me certain questions that would be awkward to answer in a, especially if he's got tens of thousands of listeners. And I've got, I'm trying to wrestle through, how do I answer all those questions wisely, respectfully, without compromising anything at all? That's a question we all need to be asking. And yet, all of a sudden, if it's, it's now in a different part of the world, a different part of the country with all different types of people, that brings a, a different emphasis, a different importance to it. So I, I get that, that we're going we're gonna to be facing that more and more and more, and our kids are going to be facing that more and more and more, and we have to. I, I don't know the exact number, but it's something like three quarters of kids in church stop going to church when they get to college. Three quarters. Yes, there is an a rabid, aggressive, um, I don't even know the right terminology to put all with it, but the atheist movement is so entrenched in college campuses that your children are guaranteed, um, especially if they go to a secular school, to have at least one or two college professors who are up, so opposed to Christianity their main reason for being in academia is to divide kids from their faith. College professors are like two to three times more likely to be atheists than the general population. And uh, what's funny is sometimes the atheist movement will say that's proof that smart people are atheists. Probably it's more proof of the fact that atheists know they have a home in academia. And so they go into the college campuses because this is a great place of influence where they can influence there the way we try to influence here. Now, one is we need college professors. So if that's a ministry God calls you to, awesome. But the truth is, our kids are going to face that. Our goal is that we would lose none. 
And we need to start when they're children, training them in the truth, helping them understand that this is a place where God's love is poured out, where they are welcomed, where their questions are welcome, where their hard questions are welcome, where we're not afraid to discuss hard things. This isn't to pay no attention to the man behind the curtain type of faith, as we talked about last time. Our kids need to know that. They need to know when they face that question that they can't answer from the college professor, all they've got to do is call back to their Sunday school teacher. They've got to call back to their parents. They've got to call back to their family. Maybe even call back to their church and discover, oh yeah, this has been answered and answered and answered and answered in some cases for hundreds of years. But the college student doesn't know, so they just they buy into it. And so this is, this is one of those things we really, we've got to be doing is we've got to start as young as we can helping them learn this stuff. We are preparing a next generation for leaders and ministers in our culture. And by the time they grow up, probably missionaries in our culture. So guys, men and women, I'm telling you, this is not just like, a, hey, somebody needs to watch our kids. We prepare week after week. And by me, by we, I mean not me. Um, Rebecca and her team and others prepare um, material, classes, curriculum, week after week to impact these kids, our kids. So we need to be stepping up and leading them ourselves. All right, moving along. Um, so 80 people. You can stop and tell me this morning, and I will write your name down, and you'll get a phone call. You can stop any staff member. You can email us. You can stop at the desks, whatever. We need, we need those people. And by we, I mean all of us, especially with children. And by we, I really mean the Christian culture in the Western world. So, Paul understood this. The Apostle Paul understood how hard ministry could be. If anyone did, the Apostle Paul did. You realize he did ministry a whole lot longer than Jesus did. He did ministry day in and day out for decades until he finally killed him. He traveled and everywhere he went, they tried to kill him. They were always hitting Paul with something, rocks or sticks. Um, the poor guy had been shipwrecked and snake bit and everything else and then the cause of the ministry. And here's what he said. 2 Thessalonians, I mean, excuse me, I'm in Galatians 6. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Refreshment, not growing weary, I believe, is about living according to who we are. Many of you know this. We're going to hear this in a second. I want to hear from you. The refreshment that comes from investing and seeing others invest and you walk away going, I'm tired, but I am energized. He says it again in 2 Thessalonians, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings, sin which clings so closely, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So let's celebrate this. I want to hear a few testimonies, just a few testimonies that you would say, you know what, here's where I've seen ministry poured out. Here's where I've seen someone minister. Maybe there's a specific person in the room that you would say, you know what, I saw. And I get, a, get a few people with hands that you could say, um, they can, so they can run to you also. So you've had time to think about it I've done, so we don't have the gap. Good, Derek. So go ahead and raise your hand, by the way, somebody else, and, and John can come bring you the mic. Go ahead. John, you can just run around me. <laughs> <laughs> so back in November, I had a, uh, a pretty life-changing event with um, my work. 
And I had a situation that I thought that I had been in control of for years and years and years. Um, and it took an event to um, really show me, sometimes we get a, a tap on the shoulder and sometimes we get a hatchet in the forehead saying you're not <clears throat> doing this right. So it took that kind of an event um, for me to realize that I wasn't in control. And I had a chance to uh, call up Lance Sturrock. He, uh, he's always been a, um, somebody that you can talk to. And um, we were talking about being refreshed. And we didn't have the answers. We didn't know where life was going to take us. But uh, Lance came alongside me. We took a walk in the woods, just talked. And uh, that was probably one of the most refreshing times that I've had. And I'm sorry, I, <clears throat> you don't see um, guys like this come up here and get all teary, but um, it was a time where we really felt um, that that spirit was breathed back into me. And I appreciate that quite a bit. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, okay, somebody else? And if we have two, we can go faster. So somebody else has, is that ready? Raise your hand. Yes. yes so ma'am. I went to, um, and this is huh, perfect timing. I went to um, an if gathering, which some women might have heard of, some might have not. And it was a, a live replay back in um, February. And me and a close friend went to Friendly Baptist Church. And they did an amazing job. They had just poured the love of Jesus into you. Um, I have felt um, a call to prayer and a, a life-changing, refreshing type prayer over the past several months. It's, I've even told some friends, like, I just want to pray. Like, I just, I have the over, I asked the girl at Slim Chickens in the drive-thru, like, can we pray? I mean, and that's <laughs> not me. Um, the whole thing, as awesome as it is, ties into discipleship of women. That's what the whole concept in the preface was. So um, as some of us women have gotten together and prayed over this, um, we're actually doing it this Friday and Saturday, if anyone's interested, to come get refreshed and let us pray for you and let us give you that desire to start praying for other women as well. Excellent. Yeah. Andrea? Hi, um, after the loss of a child and divorce, I felt lost. And being in a Pentecostal church where I worked my way for salvation and the love of Christ. Never been in a Baptist church in my life. Being here, I struggled with grace. And sometimes I still do. Felt lost, not knowing why the Lord took my child. Mm. And then, horrible divorce. <laughs> Joined CWJC, met Betsy. I don't know if you know Betsy. She comes here. Walked alongside of me, invited me here, and she loved me throughout everything I was going. I'm like, where do you, how do you love a person that has left the Lord for seven years? She said, well, it's him. It's through his grace. And now I know what grace is. And I love this church. Now I'm a Baptist from Pentecostal. <laughs> <laughs> so... She has taught, definitely refreshed me, and I don't know how, how I can give back. So there it's be because way. of his grace. That's right. Yes. That was, Andrea was referencing 
Christian Women's Job Corps. So that was the, uh, the ministry. And it is a ministry that anyone can get involved in. We have numerous people involved in it here. Yes, sir. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to try to get through this. Uh, as m- many of you know, I lost my wife Easter morning. She passed away after a long illness. But um, the Brookhill family that I'm a part of has been amazing. Um, I didn't really think, as we saw the days kind of coming to an end, I really, I really didn't think I needed anybody. But um, I quickly understood that I needed uh, the support of, of the Christian families around me. And um, the, one, the one guy that I am just so, so grateful uh, for is David Collins, member of this church that has just, uh, just been there in front of me, just doing everything he can to help us. But um, many of the many members of this church have reached out to us this week. And, but uh, I just had to just publicly thank the Brookhill family for an awesome display of love uh, towards my family this week. And uh, Chris, you did a great job Wednesday. My wife would have, was very pleased. <laughs> I, I started to say would have been, but I know she is. Um, Chris had the service, and my wife um, asked that, that he present the sa- plan of salvation, and, and it was a worship service, and, and you did a great job. John did a fantastic job with the music, coordinating that, and um, it was just a, it was a great time, and I thank you, and I thank this, this church um, for everything that you've done for my family in the last few weeks and the ministry that um, the Brookhill family has given to us. Very good. All right, so <clears throat> I did mention that was a, that was a, a, a really cool, was there one more? Yes. Hello. I wanted to say a shout out to Andrea. I met her her first night here, I think, on Wednesday night, was it? Mm-hmm. I'm glad you're here. The Babineau family. Thank you so much for saving my husband's life. Um, we go way back, right, Hugh and Nicole and the girls and your precious family. Um, A call to action was made when my husband got sick a couple years ago. And who did I call? I think I called Nicole first. Because Nicole led me to Hugh. And Hugh was there. I don't know if he was already in the hospital, but he was there. And he knew what to do, and he put us in the right hands. And I just want to thank y'all, and I love y'all. Very good. Thank you. So... There are, I mean, I think, I think not a, it would not be hard for us to find, if we sat here long enough, hundreds, maybe thousands of examples where we have seen ministry poured out by one another into one another's lives, lives lived out in ministry for one another here, outside of here. Every one of us, if our faith is in Christ, we have at least one person to thank in ministry because someone shared the gospel with us, someone lived that out with us. If we went through 
and thanked all the Sunday school teachers and all the children's church leaders and all the vacation Bible school and all the young life and, and all the camp counselors and all the others who just, that would just be those who brought us, who walked us through the process of putting our faith in Christ if you've done that. Um, much less, I mean, how we would start for, um, remembering and expressing appreciation to parents and grandparents and other family members. And I mean, the, the list would just go on forever. This is meant to be refreshing for us to see the refreshment of ministry through one another, in one another, even just the stories you heard um, this morning. Um, this is part of a big, of, of what we're talking about, I think. Uh, I looked through part of why I want to do this, because when I started looking for the word refreshed in Scripture, I kept finding in the New Testament it being about other people. The Apostle Paul likes that word. Here's a couple of examples. 1 Corinthians 16, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Um, in Romans 15, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. This is, this is a part of why I think we come to church, is to be refreshed. It may not be as restful as sleeping in. Um, it may not be as restful as just Shabbat, as just stopping on a Sunday morning. But we get to come here and interact with other people who are ministering and then given the opportunity to minister in an eternal way. Our, our encouragement, our challenge would be that of the four options that you have on Sunday morning at South Spring, not coming, coming to an, or just coming to one service, um, coming to a, a Sunday morning life group, coming to the community worship time, coming and serving with children or youth, we think you have the best opportunity of experiencing refreshment if you come to a life group, maybe on Sunday morning or another time during the week, if you come to worship in community together, and if you are part of a team that is rotating through serving with children or youth um, on Sunday mornings, if that means that for three months you're not in here because you're serving and you're in a Sunday morning life group, excellent. If it means that, that for three or four months out of the year you're not in your Sunday morning life group because you're in here one hour and you're serving the other one. I actually believe that either one of those options will be the most refreshing for you. So I would encourage you, whatever it is that you're, that's keeping you from living that out, to find a way to do that for all those of us who are grown-ups, for us to live this out. Let me encourage one, let's encourage one another with this thought. We'll close this with this in 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. It also says greet one another with a holy kiss. We don't have to do that one. But the rest of it, <clears throat> the God of love and peace be with you. This is the foundation that, God's, that God is a God of love, that he is a God of peace, that he brings that into our life and he wants us. He calls us to minister, not because he needs us, but because he wants to give us the opportunity to experience what it is to be a bird in flight, to be ministers who are ministering, and therefore being refreshed according to the identity that he's given us. I think that's what we're talking about. We'll keep talking over the next few weeks as we work towards Mother's Day, but um, just be praying, asking God how he wants to refresh you. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to hear from one another this morning and to hear from your word. And I pray you would guide us in this process. You know what we need to be refreshed. And Lord, I, I really do believe it is to live out the truth of who we are in your son. 
So God, I thank you. I thank you that we can be refreshed because of him. And that fundamentally we can rest in the truth that you are God and we are not. That you have chosen us, that you have called us, that you have sealed us, that you have purchased us. That you have adopted us as your sons and daughters. And you never fail. So God, I pray that you would help us in that. You would give us that. You would guide us in that. Thank you so much, Father. Show us what you have for us in your son's name. Amen.